0: Hello, and welcome to the ZMM Podcast. There's a saying about modern religious practice in Japan. When there's a birth, go to the Shinto temple for a blessing. When there's a marriage, go to a church for the ceremony. When there's a death, call a Zen priest. In the U.S., many might relate to this kind of buffet approach to finding meaning in their lives. Fortunately, Buddhism is continuing to evolve and offer ways to understand every juncture of our journey from birth through death and possibly beyond. That said, Zen has a lot to offer on the topic of preparing for our own transitions and that of our loved ones. For this reason, among others, Shugen Arnold Roshi was asked many months ago to speak about death, dying, and Buddhist ritual in a forum held by the MRO's Diamond Net Initiative. The Diamond Net is a program of the Mountains and Rivers Order that connects those experiencing an acute health crisis with other practitioners for whatever support can be offered. Sometimes that support takes the form of home visits or phone calls. Sometimes it's bringing around meals or offering help with transportation. The Diamond Net also seeks to keep an ongoing conversation alive in our midst on subjects ranging from accessibility to green burials, end-of-life care, and awareness of others' physical challenges. The following talk was scheduled for late 2019 and then had to be rescheduled Uh, for April 2020. Unexpectedly, the COVID-19 pandemic thrust the topic into a different light. With 98 people joining from their personal quarantines over Zoom and coronavirus-related mortality rates soaring around the world, Shugen Roshi led an at-times emotional discussion on how we face death in a world that mostly tries to deny it. We're pleased to share this conversation with you so that even more people can benefit from its insights. What you're about to hear is an abridged version of the conversation. To listen to the full recording, visit our podcast page, zmm.org slash media.
1: Thank you everyone. So our subject today is um, death and dying. And the the way showed you um, she and I have discussed this a little bit in terms of what might be helpful to offer. And the way it was framed was in terms of Zen ritual. And I want to, um, um sort of speak in a little bit of a larger way to begin. Um, that in a certain sense, being a practitioner is, is a good beginning to encounter meat Um, get close to death and um, and there's a lot that I could say about that but I want to sort of focus on the the very sort of um, person-to-person aspect of that and in the same way that whatever you know cloudiness or obstructions or um you know, um, sort of unexamined emotions and and relationships, in particular, relationship with our own mortality. To the degree that those things have not really been examined and practiced very well, those things will be present in not just our encounters with people who are sick and dying, but with everything. And so, to really do that work, the work of the Dharma and Buddha Dharma practice, is is one of the most you know, fundamental ways um, in which we bring um, ourselves to others in such a way that we don't bring those aspects of ourselves that are going to obstruct. And so that's where practice is just um, very powerful and helpful. Because we don't live in a Buddhist country, um, far from it, and because many of the people that we encounter and, and will encounter in our lives who are dying will not be Buddhists. Um, there's no sort of shared context for that unless you're sitting in the presence of a practitioner. But but most of the much of the time we won't be. Um, I'm guessing. And so um Part of what, you know, I wanted to talk about some specific things in terms of coming from within Buddhism and in particular our own tradition, but also how to uh, sort of underst- use the principles of those practices and teachings to translate them into whatever situation you might find yourself in. Um, because i and, and people will have different opinions about this, perhaps, but I think that you know most important when we're when we're working with somebody with anybody in any stage of life, you know skillful means means to be standing on some ground of truth, but then also to engaging them where they are at the same time that we recognize that where they are may be um, limited and even hurting them, and so we may have a sense of wanting to help them, you know, step into a larger room um, as in when we're dying, but how to do that, how to do that in a way that's skillful. Um, And so maybe let me just say a few things, and then we'll just open it up to see where people want to take this. Um, You know, dying is um, – you know there are practices to contemplate and reflect on death, to visualize our own sickness and dying and death. Um, there are many teachings that point directly at the the nature of life and death. Um, I mean, there are practices so much about this. And and when we are working or in the presence of someone who is who is in their final stages, um, to you know, to really try and meet them where they are and to understand that death is a, a natural process, even if they're dying in a way that is very difficult or as a result of an accident, that dying itself is something that is none of us will escape from. And so to um, sort of enter in with that understanding that this person is in the midst of a process that they have to go through and in a certain sense they have to go through it alone and that's a really important part of it And it's not just dying we, we in a sense go through our lives alone which is why it's so important to do that alongside each other and so that there's an aspect of the dying process i believe in which we need to be there and helping and serving in in various ways that we can. And then we also will need to remove ourselves at various moments, that there is an inner process and and a stage of dying in which that needs to happen. And that people will naturally begin to retreat as they need to, to, to undertake that, that stage of their dying process. And, and it's important to be able to recognize when that's happening. And this is a, maybe an art as well as a science, and also to allow that of them. Um, And also knowing that each person's dying process is going to be different. And of course, I'm speaking from my own limited experience. Some of you may have much more experience than I do of actually being with, um, you know, more people or in different situations of people who are dying. And so some of this is going to be very familiar to you. And so, I just wanted to mention that part, and then, in terms of those of us who are practitioners and familiar with our own liturgy, you know part of the function of training is that you're, each of us is given is since given access to the Dharma and various practices and teachings and so, in the realm of liturgy, all the liturgy that we do, all of the sutras that we chant and the various invocations we give, the four measurables and the metasutta and all these different sutras are for you. They belong to you. And so they, and so that means that each of us has permission and is encouraged to utilize those both for our own personal practice as well as when they might help another person. Um, And so to bring, particularly if we're with a practitioner, to bring elements of liturgy that might be very meaningful to them and very familiar to them. And even if they're not conscious to take refuge, to chant the Metta Sutta or the Heart Sutra, to um, chant the four Bodhisattva vows, to read Dharma, uh, to in a sense, it's like, it's like going in and reaching into this very deep part of each of us, particularly if we practiced for any significant amount of time. That's that's inside of us in a very, very deep way. And I've seen this when I've been with students who are dying, where when I who were unconscious. And that when I started to invoke some of these um sutras or chants, that I, I could see the response in them. Um, it's kind of like music, you know. Um, there, so there's that element, and we can get into more of that if you are interested. There are, um, you know, in training and in the liturgy, there are um, various services to do at the bedside of someone right after death. There are, are, are services to do when a, a person is being bathed after death. There are services that can be done at cremation. Um, and then, of course, at the funeral or memorial. In essence, each of those services is just a way um, to acknowledge what is happening in that moment or what has just happened, and to, in a sense, gather in the three treasures the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha to invoke ancestors, to invoke um, the Sangha. Uh, to invoke, um, bring into to, to recognition of what is, in a sense, to name what is happening. It's a way of bringing our attention and rec- naming what is happening. That this person has just passed. That we are in the in the midst or preparing to bathe the body of this person. It's a way of using language to, in a sense, sacralize, to to make sacred what is getting ready to happen. Um, so that it's, in a sense, not defined, but it is um, sort of given um, um, a kind of life by, by acknowledging it. And then there are various sutras or, or short chants that are really just generally invoking compassion, invoking loving kindness, invoking aspiration, you know, and, and a lot of this will also depend on how the person believed what they believed about the world. What are, the, what, are, what are their religious faiths? If they're Buddhist, what do they believe in? Do they believe in rebirth? That's kind of important to know if you're working with somebody who is a Buddhist. Um, you know, before my mother died, I realized I had never really asked her, like, do you believe in God? And at that moment, I really wanted to know, because before she lost consciousness, I wanted to know how to be with her, and what would speak to her. Um, and so there are various services, and in general, they're they're sort of employing these different aspects, sort of like recognizing what is happening or getting ready to happen, bringing forward, gathering, and in, invoking the Buddhist ancestors, the Sangha, wisdom and compassion, and then bringing forth some some chanting, something that gives voice to, in a sense, what is needed to the people that are there, to the person who is passing and perhaps in transition. Um, and so, and I'm saying, I wanna frame it in that way so that, in a sense, you can improvise. You can respond to the situation, given what the situation is, in a sense, regardless of of what the situation is and who's there. And that may mean that you're doing it outwardly, if that's appropriate. It may mean that you're doing it inwardly. In other words, that you're doing certain practices or liturgies that may not be appropriate to do in the group because they're not Buddhist or because the person who died wasn't Buddhist, but you may feel that it might help. And so it might be something that you invoke internally. So it can, it can also happen in two ways or in either way there. Uh, let me stop there. And because I just wanted to sort of frame or sort of creates a sort of a larger, um, field, um, and then see, because I really have no idea where each of you are, how you're thinking about this, or what your own experiences have been, or what you would like to to understand better in terms of how your own practice can help you in this way. So why don't we start up? And um, um, there are 93 of us, so I unfortunately probably won't hear from everybody. <laughs> but why don't you raise your hand, and um, we'll just try and respond to as many as we can and see where those questions are. Okay. So I'd, I'd,
2: I'd like to just jump in for a moment and um, tell people that we're, we are being recorded, just so that you know that, um, and this will be posted at some point, somehow. Um, but be aware of that. If If you don't let that stop you from asking a question, but if you don't want to be on the recording, let Hoke you know afterwards. Yeah. Um, and also just a little bit of Zoom instruction. Shugen, when you say raise your hand, do you mean using the little yeah. chat feature thing? Yes,
0: yes. Um, can I ask one process question real quick? Shoju, this is Tom. Um, HoQ sometimes has been seeing a lot of questions in the stream at different virtual things and sometimes kind of condensing them, um, kind of getting a sense of everything and people would choose whether to see if they could talk directly to Shugen or put questions in there. And I, I'm just putting that out there. It seemed really effective um, if that's something that, that you and Shugen are, um, um, you know, think could be helpful.
2: My personal preference is to listen rather than to be typing on the chat during the mondo. That That's just me.
1: Okay, so um, yeah, thanks for clarifying those things. Um, showed you. I don't think that this will be made public in the global sense. I think the most that would happen is it might be made available to those who are interested, or maybe, you know, I don't, I don't actually know. So, uh, forget that. Um, what showed you said is I think, the best
3: information. So Seiko, I'll start with you. Hey, thank you. Um, I just wanted to um, kind of reinforce what you were saying about listening to the needs of the person who's dying. Um, When I was in in practice as a physician, uh, my often repeated experience was that people who were dying lost control of the process, um, partly, especially in hospitals, especially in the way the medical system is set up, um, someone else is often running the show, or at least that is um, a problem that comes up a lot. And I would try to make it possible for the person who was dying to be in charge of everything that was happening. Um, and this it seemed to be very important, and it's uh, a difficulty that I think uh, recurs all too often in the way in the American way of death and dying.
1: Absolutely, and you know that I think that can be exacerbated by. The environment a person is in, by the person's own confusion about the process, or the lack of preparation, or you know if they haven't wow. Really wow. cultivated something to turn towards. You know, when my father was dying, that was one of my significant, most significant concerns. But I felt mm-hmm. like I wasn't sure he had ever cultivated anything that he could turn to in that time of his death. Um, it can also be compounded by the people around them who sometimes will have different opinions about that process. Absolutely.
3: Right. That's a big problem, the family.
1: I mean, in my mom's passing, my my brother, who's a Sikh, you know, he and I are different people. And he had a particular sense of how he wanted to bring his own tradition to her, which my mother, you know, they, she had her own relationship with him and my brother and Sikhism. And I had a very different sort of approach to that. And so, you know, he and I kind of worked that out. Um, but also I might just add that part of that process that I saw in my siblings, I have three other siblings in my mom's passing, was I realized, because it was shh, shh, I was seeing it, that my mother had created a particular karma with each one of us. And that there were certain things that were getting worked out in her dying that, that weren't my business. You know, it was sort of like she was working things out with each of her children in a way that, you know, if I could help, I did. But I also recognize sometimes when I wanted to help, I realized, you know, this is something they've actually created together. And even now, you know, maybe especially now, you know, there has to be room given to to allow them to try and work that out, you know. And so I think that's one of the difficulties is knowing when and how to step in. And right. in, in what way and to what degree and when to actually pull back.
3: Yeah. Um, Your own fear of dying or my own fear of dying often made it that much harder to be objective and neutral.
1: And I think just the fact that we can't know that person's inner experience. Particularly we lose consciousness, we can no longer ask them, what do you need? How are you doing? And so, you know, I told the story of... Uh, When I was, my mom was passing and I was laying in bed next to her and she was not conscious at this point. And I was just very lightly stroking her arm and she moved it. And I thought, huh, you know, was that just an involuntary movement or is she telling me something? (laughs) And so I did it one more time, very lightly, and she moved it again. And I thought, she's telling me something, right? She needs me to give her space. And so I did. (laughs) Um, Tenfu?
2: Yes, good morning. Um, I have a question right now at the minute we are talking, uh my friend Anya in Amsterdam is uh on her last or maybe before last day uh of leaving uh she sent She had a message sent to me this morning. Uh, saying that she was at the end. And uh, I just would like to know the best way for me from here uh, to communicate or to uh, just, uh, I don't know, ease her departure in a meaningful way. Can you call her? I don't think it's uh, allowed right now. She cannot talk anymore. She's under a ventilator. Mm-hmm. She's under a mask and she cannot uh, she cannot do anything anymore. So if- this is why she um she asked her daughter this morning to uh, just tell me mm-hmm. uh that it was the end. So I sent some Hearts and things like that. It had been kind of video messages, WhatsApp, and and
1: all that. And does that mean she could not have a phone held up to her ear as well?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: then I think this is where, you know, working with your mind and from the place where you are to be extending to her. Um, anything you would want to say and anything you would you feel like might help her and so whether it's something like the metta sutra or the four measurables or just you know a calming meditation Mm -hmm. um, and that you're visualizing her in your mind so you're holding her image Mm -hmm. a traditional practice of focusing on an object can be a, a a a image uh, mm-hmm. it could be a statue but it could also be a photograph in this case of her mm-hmm. and that you to really um, bring that fo- that um, image into sharp focus because then it's a stronger uh, awareness it's a stronger concentration it's more powerful and then to bring that internally so you hold the image of her in your mind mm-hmm. right? and, you, and and you're holding that and then that you're you're infusing that with loving kindness with Um, calmness, with a wish for well-being. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is a a, a traditional visualization practice, but you're sort of using it in a slightly different way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think when we can't have direct access because we can't be physically present or the person may have already passed, for that matter, we can use our our mind, our meditation, and liturgy um, to still um, reach out. And of course, the effect of that is not measurable, right? I mean, it's affecting you. We can't know how and to what degree it might be affecting them, but um, not doing anything, we can be pretty sure of the effect of that. Yeah.
2: And
1: so to, to offer what we can is, I think, really important. It's good to see you.
2: Thank
1: uh, you. Um, so... Earlier, you said that uh, in order to help someone who's dying, you need to meet them where they are and
0: also stand on the ground of truth. And so I find, uh, not just with people who are dying, but pretty much every interaction,
3: um, it's I almost always
1: fall
0: into one extreme or the other, either create a gap by not entirely meeting them where they are, or lose touch with my own ground of truth, and get into the, uh, you know, the maelstrom in one way or the other. So my question is, how do you do that without
1: falling into one side or the other? Yeah, well, that's the big one, isn't it? Um, I mean, that's, In a sense, that's what practice is constantly showing us, turning in, turning out, taking the backward steps, stepping forward off the 100-foot pole. You know, I talked yesterday in the Mountain River Sutra session that when we sit with our eyes open in Zazen, we're turning our attention in, but the, the world is still flowing through, right? And that's really learning how to have all the doors open and not get caught. And so it's a, you know, it's, it's one of the greater challenges of practice, right? It's, it's easier when we sort of bifurcate and, you know, just be this way or just take this approach. But reality isn't like that. And so we have to just keep challenging ourselves. I think one thing that's helpful, particularly when, say, you're stepping into a room where someone is dying, is to prepare yourself. Um, you know, if possible, to meditate, to 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 ground yourself within your mind and within your mindfulness, and to also be aware of very, very much of what you're feeling. So if you're anxious, if you're angry, whatever you might be feeling, just to know that you're having that emotion. It doesn't have to stop you, but just to know it so that you're walking in with that, but knowing. And sometimes that preparation is also for what you're going to see because sometimes when we encounter people who are dying, it's startling, you know, the dying process and what happens to the human body. And so, and sometimes the shock of that, right, can sort of lose, we can lose our seat and kind of get caught up in that. And so sometimes to prepare that, um, to prepare ourselves and, and then to go in. And then I think to try and, literally step closer and to get close and to allow yourself to really take that person in visually so that you're really holding however they're appearing in that moment, which may be unsettling. You're just allowing yourself to hold that while your, your mind and your body begins to settle, right? Because in the initial moment, sometimes there is a shock and we can get caught in the waves of that shock. And then our mind, but if you just, and this, we've been trained to do this in Zazen, right? Something arises that sort of unsettles us and we learn how to just hold that within our awareness until things begin to stabilize. And so the same thing happens. So, so something that initially is strange becomes more ordinary, right? It's like, you know, the first taste is always very strong, but as you keep taking more taste, it becomes It calms down and that can help to just sort of now come in a little bit closer, maybe with your heart, with your mind, with your emotions, with your voice. And so kind of to prepare and sort of move in step by step, um, I think can be helpful. I know that in some of the experiences I've had, um, that was really helpful. That I needed to, you know, in a very sort of simple um, physical level acquaint myself with the the new physicality the new form that this person was taking right because it wasn't the way i identified that person and it's also it's it can frighten us you know because it's it is death-like um and and that can frighten us and so that preparation can be helpful okay um alexander
2: Hello. Hi there. I am a uh, caregiver with early onset Alzheimer's, and, uh, which is very Zen practice <laughs> at times. And it, it can be a beautiful thing and uh, a horrifying thing all at once. And I was wondering if I could get your thought on, sometimes it's uh, frustrating to come back to the same moment. Um, that we've once repeated. Yeah. And uh, just uh, as he's worsening over time, mm-hmm. or uh, getting worse, it's it's been very difficult. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering what your thoughts were on that.
1: Well, I think you're right. And, and you, you know, more than I, I mean, I have worked, and I've had family members and have also worked with some people with dementia. And my mother in her final year, she didn't she didn't really have to mention it in a clinical way, but she was more and more repeating herself telling me stories she had already told me. And, you know, to, to fight that reality, you already know is, is not going to work <laughs> because that, is, that is the reality, all right? Mm-hmm. That is their world. And we can't take that away from them. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, there, there are moments where I would, you know, just listen again with renewed interest to, you know, just let's, let's, hear this again for the first time. And other times where I might try and redirect the attention to something new, sometimes maybe because that would provide them relief, sometimes, frankly, because I needed relief,
2: mm.
1: you know, and so see if we could take take it into another direction, um, sometimes to just sort of let it roll out, you know, and not have to, you know, respond at all, but just, you know, because it is rolling out. In other words, I don't think there's one strategy, but it's it's how do you, in a sense respect and honor their world and also take care of yourself in a certain level you know meet them where they are, and also do both what you need to do and sort of keep yourself you know in your own in your own world in your own reality and then how to sort of let those sit together side by side yes, it is i I, 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 um, uh, in terms of returning to the moment again, over and over again, it can be um, very powerful, very relentless, <laughs> and very painful. It can be very painful too. Um,
2: so, thank you very kindly. Thank you.
1: You know, and let me just say, while he's Gill is coming forward. That, um, you know, I'm just sharing with you out of my own experience and my training and what I have learned, but, um, you know, in in terms of every time I go into a situation with somebody, I am a student, you know, all the way, because I literally do not know who or what I'm going to meet. I do not know what they're going to need. I can't know that in advance. And And I can bring in what I do have confidence in about what might be helpful. And so what I think is helpful to everyone in their own way is, is to be, um, be given loving and encouraging words that as they're experiencing something for the first time that we're not experiencing with them to just encourage them to um, trust what's happening that this is a natural process. What What I said to my mother, and I've said this to other students as well, I said, you know, whatever you're experiencing right now, even if it's frightening, just remember that it's your mind, right? It's not something outside of yourself, it's okay, right? And particularly for a practitioner, you know, to remind a practitioner, you have already seen this, right? If not in this form, you have seen it in other forms. So just remember that whatever you're facing, You're facing an aspect of yourself, your mind, and try to the best of your ability to meet that in trust and confidence, you know, and to just encourage them to, you know, not be afraid. And that if they are afraid, that that's okay. You know, it's just really giving them encouraging, loving words and sort of speaking from the side, as it were as to those kinds of words that might help them to just feel like, you know, what is happening is not wrong. You know, it makes me think of when I would go into Dokesan sometimes with my teacher, and I would be, you know, all in a in a mess about something, and just feel like everything is wrong and every and and something is this shouldn't be happening. And I would go into my teacher and speak to him and he would listen and he would say, yeah, you know, he would just respond very sort of matter of factly and, and not even that, like, you know, definitely not excited. <laughs> and that was really helpful because it was just really brought me down. And it was like, oh, I think this is like, you know, an emergency. And he doesn't. And he has a lot more experience. And so it just had a soothing kind of calming effect. I think sometimes to sort of be that voice and to try and have that energy. And and we don't need to know the particulars, right? If we're a practitioner, we know that what they're experiencing is mind. And that it's, it's, in a sense, it's their karma that's arising. And that they have, they can face that, right? They can face that, even if they're not a practitioner. Even if they've been frightened their whole life. They have the capacity within themselves to face that in this moment, and so it's like speaking to that part of themselves.
0: Thanks for listening. To find out more about the Diamond Net and its ongoing activities, visit zmm.org slash Diamond Net.